On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. Well, welcome to About Books, Book TV's program and podcast about the business of publishing. In a few minutes, Publishers Weekly editorial director Jim Milliot will join us to discuss the upcoming publication of the House January 6th committee report. But first, here's some of the latest stories from the publishing world. In her new book about Donald Trump, Confidence Man, New York Times political reporter Maggie Haberman includes materials from three sit-down interviews with the former president. One exchange in particular has gotten a lot of attention in the wake of the FBI's August raid on the former president's Mar-a-Lago home. Haberman writes that Trump, quote, demurred when I asked if he had taken any documents of note upon departing the White House. Quote, nothing of great urgency. No, he said. She also writes that the former president was, quote, sometimes stunned at his own backers fervor, telling aides, quote, they're effing crazy. That book will be released on October the 4th. And longtime NPR Supreme Court reporter Nina Totenberg published a book about her friendship with the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Politico headlined their review of that book, quote, Nina Totenberg had a beautiful friendship with RBG. Her book about it is an embarrassment. The memoir, Politico said, quote, shows everything that's wonderful about friendship and awful about insider culture. The reviewer, Michael Schaefer, writes that in Dinners with Ruth, Ms. Totenberg failed because when you're a powerful reporter covering things that shape the life of the country, the matter of how you do your job is a lot more important than one lovely friendship or some quasi-academic debate about a journalist's true duties. And finally, in publishing news, former Republican Congressman Denver Riggleman of Virginia, who went to work for the January 6th committee, wrote a book with a behind-the-scenes look about his tenure on the committee. It's called The Breach. It came, according to news reports, as a surprise to members of that committee. And now more on the January 6th committee, its forthcoming report, and how the publishing industry is handling that report's release. We're joined by Jim Milliot, editorial director of Publishers Weekly. Jim Milliot, as of this conversation, we don't know when the House January 6th committee is going to be releasing that final report. But if you go to Amazon today, there's already half a dozen versions of that report available for pre-order. So what does that tell you about the publishing industry's expectations for Americans' appetite for wanting to buy the book form of this report? Well, I I think it obviously states that uh, they think there's going to be a lot of interest. Obviously, the the, the discussions have covered a lot of ground. There's a lot of time to digest. And um, I think, you know, having a print version handy let people, you know, take some time with with all the material and try to try to get a better sense of what's happening. So what are the rules here when it comes to publishing a a congressional report? Well, basically, there are no rules. Um, Obviously, it's a it's a public domain document. So, you know, virtually anybody can publish it. Um, And, you know, in the Internet age, I'm sure there'll be various versions around uh, in some sort of digital format. But the publishers, you know, they have a long history of doing these type of things. Um, you know, uh, some of your old reviewers might remember the Star Report, uh, which came out, 
during the end of the uh, Clinton administration. And um, that was an, an interesting um, episode in that it was when the internet was really, you know, making great grounds and disseminating information. And there was some dispute about whether, well, um, you know, they could get this material for free on the internet. Why, they want, why would they want it in a book? But three publishers went ahead and did publish uh, a book about the Star Report, and, and they sold fairly well. Um, so from there, from then on out, um, you know, depending on 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 the material, publishers, um, you know, they keep an eye on this, and uh, I, they do think it's worthwhile to publish. Downloading documents uh, becoming so much easier uh, now than than then. Why do publishers continue to think? that uh, the public will, will buy a book form rather than just downloading the PDF of this January 6th report when it comes out? Because it's easier to read in a book <laughs> than download in a PDF. But, um, the, well, there's some very recent history about why it might be worthwhile. Um, you know, the Mueller report is you know, the most recent one of these type of uh, documents that have been put into books. And you know, the one of the Washington Post and Scribner's did, uh, Division of Simon and Schuster sold over 300,000 copies, and then we had um, Skyhorse, the one that had um, uh, forward by Eric Gershowitz, Alan Gershowitz. I'm sorry, that sold over 120,000. And then there's a, a small independent publisher house up here in Brooklyn, uh, Melville House. They did a paperback version, uh, so that was cheaper, and they sold about 40,000 copies. So you know, um, you add it all up, you know. Uh, two of those, the Sky Horse and the um, Scribner Washington Post one, uh, they were bestsellers. And they did put some context to it. Um, you know, like in the intro kind of set up what, what the whole Mueller report was about and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, the, there is a history uh, of doing this and a history of success, actually. So is the intro the way of distinguishing your report when it comes to, to these congressional reports that, that anybody can can make into a book form is the idea here to have a, a well-known intro and, and that's going to get more. Right, right, right. Well, as 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 I think, you know, um, the uh, the ones that are in the works for for the um, January 6th commission, one is coming from Random House and uh, Adam Schiff is doing, I believe, the forward or an epilogue, one or the other. And his name is definitely attached to it. And then um, one that's coming from Macmillan, um, Jamie Raskin and the New Yorker um, are adding stuff. I'm not sure. It's not clear exactly what the New Yorker's um, role is going to be. I believe they're going to have some commentary on it. So, you know, it's a way to uh, you know, try to separate yourself a little bit um, from from the other competing materials that are out there. And I do think, it, again, um, Having somebody you trust, I think everybody now knows who Adam Schiff is, um, you know, gives a little bit of cachet. What about uh, targeting your intro towards a specific audience? You mentioned uh, Skyhorse uh, in uh, one of the previous congressional reports. Uh, with the Skyhorse publication, uh, the version that's on, on sale on Amazon right now uh, that you can pre-order, a forward by former Trump speechwriter Darren Beatty. Right. Well, they, they, they know who their audiences are. So, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, you know, I guess you could call it signaling, if you will. 
um, who you're who you who you're getting uh, in collaboration with. So it's it's you know, and that and that'll help you know gin up some publicity. It's and it, and it also puts to some degree it puts the face on um, the the book, if you will. So I'm not sure if Schiff or Raskin will do any um, uh, interviews for this, but they might. Um, and, you know, every book needs a spokesperson for it. You know, sometimes it's the publisher, you know, almost always it's the author. So it'll be interesting in this case, you know, who 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 does the talk shows, who comes on your show, um, you know, to decide, you know, to talk about why they decided to get get into this. When it comes to the HarperCollins edition, a forward there by uh, MSNBC legal correspondent Ari Melber, uh, the, when it comes to the costs of printing these books, is, is that where the publishing houses are, are paying the money to have a, a big name uh, forward written if they don't have to pay for the congressional report itself? Yeah, well, that's, that's a help. And it's interesting that you bring up um, the paper situation because, again, many of your um, watchers and viewers are probably aware that, you know, last year there was a lot of problems with the book publishing supply chain. There's a paper shortage still going on now. Um, it's not as severe as it used to be. Um, so I think there was a little bit of uh, concern about whether there'd be enough production capability and enough paper around to get these sort of instant books done. But obviously that they, they found a way. And you know their determination to go ahead and do this, I think speaks volumes for the kind of interest they think there's gonna be there. I mean, look at what, I think the ratings that CNN and everybody else who's showing the um, showing the, the hearings, you know, if they were doing very well. So, um, you know, I think the, the publishers are starting to piggyback on that interest. What has Publishers Weekly been able to find out about the, the print runs of the various publishing houses for the, the January 6th report whenever it does drop? Uh, well, unfortunately, they haven't told us yet, but we'll be uh, we'll be keeping an eye on it. And I think you I think you'll see it selling comparable to the Mueller report. Um, if, if, I mean, I think that's probably almost a low bar. I mean, that three hundred thousand uh, that the, the Post, well, what Scrivener one did. I mean, that's really an impressive number. Um, Pence, you know, sometimes you do have, as you pointed out, a lot of competing um, titles out there. I don't know if one will hit three hundred thousand, but you know, if you do the quick math. You know, they got cost, They got close to 500,000 copies sold before. And um, I, I'm not much in their predicting game, but I would think that, you know, 500,000 copies sold is probably a reasonable target. You mentioned the, the Star Report, the Mueller Report. What makes a, a, a hit versus a flop when it comes to these congressional reports being put into to book form? Well, that's, that's a good question. And I think it's... It goes to the whole nature of, you know, trying to predict what books are going to work and what aren't. Um, you know, to divert, divert too much away from this, but we just had the Penguin Random House trial. Um, and a lot of publishers, you know, went, uh, went on the stand to talk about how hard it is to predict what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, and these type of things, though, I, I do think, you know, there is some sense of, you know, right versus wrong, or, you know, I, I want to find what's on my side. I want to, um, you know, I, I want to understand the argument a little bit better. Um, and I don't, 
it's going to be a thick document, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, like most books, how much is actually going to get read? Is this going to get read cover to cover? Um, I, I don't think, you know, that'll be the case in, in, in you know, in too many instances. But, you know, people want to have it and refer to it. I mean, this is going to be an ongoing process, right? Because I think it's, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, John, this is sort of like the preliminary report, because I know there's a couple other publishers that are standing by wanting to publish like the final, final version. So, um, you know, this is maybe just, you know, sort of volume one, maybe there'll be a volume two or a volume three. Well, there's also versions at this point of the individual hearings at, at this point, as you and I are talking, there's been eight hearings so far, and you can buy the book form of each one of those hearings. Uh, also, if you go to Amazon, you can find those as well. Right, right. So, you know, and, you know, um, it is easy now, especially with Amazon, to do a digital version, and it's not hard to self-publish either. I mean, it goes to that whole self publishing environment that sprung up, you know, over the last 10 years, 12 years or so. So it's really easy to do this. Um, in terms of what the quality of some of these may be, um, you know, I'm not sure about that. Obviously, if you're coming from an established publisher like the ones we've talked about, you know what you're going to get. Um, you know, if, depending on, you know, what else you, you want to how much you want to get involved you know, by, you know, a, a cheap version. I'm sure it'll be fine, but, you know, it's uh, buyer beware, perhaps. You mentioned quality. I wonder, uh, I don't know how many of these reports you've read over the years, but I, I wonder your thoughts on the writing itself when these reports come out. Uh, if uh, they're written in a different narrative style by the committees, knowing that these things are, are likely to be bestsellers are, are likely to be hits, as it were. Does it change the way that these reports have been written, or has that changed over the years? Not to my knowledge. I mean, they really, again, you know, the the, the people they assign to do the con an epilogue or a forward or something like that, that's what sort of sets the tone. Um, and it, depends, it definitely depends from publisher to publisher on how much they want to tinker with the actual text itself. I think for the most part, they, they, they try to stick uh, as best they can to the actual document and the actual wording that was used in the, in the hearing. And, and I, I wonder, uh, when it comes to the final report, though, if you think the committee staff themselves or whoever writes this report before it gets released to the public, if you think that, 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 that knowing that these things are likely to be hits, that they change the way that they write these reports to try to make them more thrilling or more interesting or more readable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but you, you could be right. And I, I, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's a back of their head that, you know, this is an historic document. Um, so e even if it's, you know, something just for the record or something that will be available to the public, um, you do want to come off looking like, you know, you're, you're, you're making a, you know, well thought out argument. So yeah, I, I would think that's definitely something that ha you have to have, you know, top of mind about, you know, this is sort of a legacy type of thing. Thinking back uh, over the years to these various reports, and in modern times, we can go as far back as the, the Senate Watergate report. You've mentioned the Mueller report, the Starr report, the 9-11 report. Is there a report that you can remember that had expectations of being a bestseller that was kind of a flop? You know, not really. Um, I, I think the Starr report was probably the one that 
been to as well as some people thought. I mean, there is this, you know, tension between too much information and not quite enough information. I think by the time the Star Report came out, people were kind of tired of it. And it was a sort of the same old story, right? I mean, I think people knew the fundamentals very clearly. Um, you know, here in January 6th, I mean, there's so many different roads to go down and so many things to explore. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of meat to get into other than, you know, let's face it, the star report, I mean, was, you know, a romance thriller in some ways. And, um, I think people kind of knew how it ended. And then uh, when it comes to distinguishing these reports, we, we've talked a, a bit about how many there are out there. Uh, it's a, a question for these reports, but I guess for the publishing industry in general, having a good cover art when it comes to these reports. Uh, if you look at the, the New York Times version, their cover art has shattered glass and, and broken doors inside the Capitol. There's a hint of a, a United States flag through the shattered glass. I wonder your thoughts on, on trying to get the, the catchy cover art on these reports. Well, it's something that you know, publishers do, that's their specialty. So, and as we alluded to before, um, they know who their audience is. I mean, I, mean I, I have to think most of the people buying this are going to be on the left-hand side of the political equation. Um, so, you know, you're trying to draw, um, draw attention to to the the main arguments that'll be in the book and something like what you just described, you know, I, I think will fit right into uh, what the readers are looking for. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the Sky Horse one does in terms of will it attract people who, you know, were defending President, former President Trump? Um, will they look for arguments there that you could maybe poke holes in? Remind folks uh, about Skyhorse and and uh, their stable of authors who, who folks who don't know who what Skyhorse is. Well, Skyhorse started off as sort of a general publisher, but uh, in the last several years they've um, published some authors who a lot of the mainstream publishers won't. They published the Woody Allen book when Hachette uh, um, dropped it for for various reasons. So they've taken up the man that they published. Um, uh robert kennedy book uh on the uh the pandemic um so they're they take it up some books um that again other mainstream publishers haven't haven't published and you know they're doing it um because they think it's important you know to have the freedom to publish um and they they want to uh, publish as many different types of views as 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 possible um i you know the, um I can't say that a lot of people in publishing agree with their stance, but some do. I mean, you know, as uh, a defender of free expression. And I guess in our last minute or two here, uh, explain what Publishers Weekly will be looking for here in the wake of the January 6th report being published. Uh, what's what's sort of your job as you track this? Well, you know, we're going to we're going to track, as you alluded to before, you know, how they're doing. Um, and that's that's sort of what we're going to. We won't be reviewing them. Um, we'll be, you know, tracking how the sales rates going and who sort of sort of the winners and losers are. Um, that'll be interesting. You know, I I hope my prediction of five hundred thousand, uh, um, you know, comes true. And you know, the industry I mean, it could use a little jolt. So I'm not sure this is it. Um, 
publishing's had a couple of good years. This year has been a little slower than the, the previous two years. Um, will this thing being bring people into the bookstores? You never know what will. I mean, that you know that's what makes publishing publishing. You're never really sure what a bestseller is going to be till till it hits the list. And bookstores uh, probably uh, not unhappy that uh, this dropping uh, as the holiday season is about to begin. Right, I think so. Yeah, I'm not sure how great a holiday present it is, but if you have an uncle out there who's interested in politics, uh, could be the perfect book. Jim Milliot is the editor, editorial director of Publishers Weekly. Uh, always appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Hey, pleasure to be here. And you're watching and listening to the About Books program and podcast. Each Tuesday, dozens of new books are published. Here's a recent sampling. In their latest book in their best-selling Killing series, Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard focus on the deaths of a trio of American icons, Elvis Presley, John Lennon, and Muhammad Ali. The book is Killing the Legends, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity. And in The Future is Now, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation host and science correspondent Bob McDonald explores how current energy technologies and the lessons of the global pandemic can be used to solve the climate crisis. And Fox News contributor Joe Concha offers his assessment of President Biden's time in the White House in his book, Come On Man, The Truth About Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Presidency. And each week, national publications publish their reviews of newly released books. Here's two from the Wall Street Journal. Almanac of American Politics founder Michael Barone takes a look at the book Democracy's Data by Colgate University history professor Dan Book. Quote, the book promises to reveal the hidden stories in the U.S. Census and how to read them and delivers some interesting tales, Barone writes. But his text, he says, is alas sprinkled with academic argo. We read about misgendering non-binary and transgender people and about Latinx a term rejected, he writes, by almost all those it is intended to label. Also from the Wall Street Journal, Barton Swain reviewed Smart Brevity, the new book from Jim Vandehei, Mike Allen, and Roy Schwartz, co-founders of the new site Axios. The book, subtitled The Power of Saying More with Less, is written in Axios's journalistic style with one or two sentence leads and paragraphs labeled Why It Matters and The Big Picture, in his review, Swain writes, quote, maybe the Axios style is the future of written communication. If so, please kill me. The authors, he says, show they can write lean and punchy copy, but their own copy, he says, isn't exactly top drawer quality. You'll see these books and the authors featured in the near future on Book TV. And coming up later on Book TV, it's our weekly Afterwards program. This week, we'll feature former Trump administration trade policy office director Peter Navarro. His book is titled Taking Back Trump's America, and he's interviewed by Washington Examiner senior political correspondent David Drucker. Here's a preview. So this is the second book um, of, of what's going to be eventually a trilogy on um, the Trump administration, and this, this focuses primarily on this phenomenon under Reagan where personnel is policy, where um, who you put in the White House uh, can either be good or bad depending on whether they're in sync with the president. So that's, that's part of the focus of this. And of course, prospectively, I'm, 
uh, the title, Taking Back Trump's America, obviously is also oriented towards the future. A reminder that Afterwards airs every Sunday at 10 p.m. on Book TV. And finally, each month on our in-depth program, Book TV brings on an author for a deep dive into his or her body of work. This month, we interviewed TV host and Abrams Media founder, Dan Abrams. He talked about the state of the U.S. legal system and America's legal history. His books include Lincoln's Last Trial and Alabama v. King. That interview is available right now on our website at booktv.org. Well, thanks for joining us for About Books, a program and a podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Book TV will continue to bring you author interviews and publishing news, and you can get this and all of our podcasts on our C-SPAN Now app, and you can always watch online at booktv.org.